Welcome to the Win Win Evangelism Podcast. My name's Tina Waldrum. Well, it's half year and I thought it would be great to take a look at some of the highlights this year. What's the most popular episodes and what are people finding helpful? It's a fascinating journey when we look at the statistics to see which episodes get the most downloads and the most engagement via direct feedback or through our social media spaces. This week and last week, I'll share two episodes that have got a lot of traction in the first half of 2022. I'll talk about the episodes and give some of my own thoughts as to why I think they're so popular. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. Go back to it if you missed out and enjoy this episode. It's a little different and I pray you really enjoy it. One of the most popular episodes this year has been an unexpected salvo in Tasmania. I spoke with Kim Hayworth in Tasmania. Kim is living the most unexpected life as a divisional commander, a state leader with the Salvation Army. She never thought God was knowable. She never thought she would end up as a captain in the Salvation Army. She's encouraging new initiatives to reach people for Christ. Alongside existing models of outreach, new organic faith expressions are springing up. The Offie Network is a part of Kim's focus to see revival in Tasmania. After Kim's initial encounter with Christ, she sensed a call from God to be involved in church work. It took some time for Kim to give her all to this. Her story is down to earth and very warm. It shows the extraordinary things the Lord can do through someone who says yes to his promptings. It demonstrates the power of a surrendered life in the hands of a God who is on mission to reach the world. The Offie Network Organic Faith Expression was intriguing for many. The link is in the show notes again for you today. I think this episode was so popular for a number of reasons. Number one, the pathway of an everyday Aussie woman meeting Jesus and becoming not only a captain in the Sally Army, but now a divisional commander is fascinating. Like who does that? Number two, the discussion around unexpected promptings from the Holy Spirit and how that looks is very interesting as a believer. Number three, listening to a salvo talk about new methods of outreach in Australia and why we need them is intriguing and encouraging. And number four, women are always amazing to listen to. That's my two cents worth being a woman. In all seriousness, Kim Hayworth is an extraordinary lady. I'm very blessed that our paths have crossed. I wonder what you liked about Kim if you heard this episode when it first dropped or what you think of it after listening now. Please send me an email to team at evangelisminaustralia.com or drop a comment on social media when you see something to do with this episode. I'd love to chat with you. Well, here is my second highlight episode for the first half of 2022, an unexpected salvo in Tasmania. Kim Howarth, welcome to you. Thank you, Tina. It's great to be with you. An unexpected salvo in Tassie. This is an intriguing story. So as a way of introduction, Kim, it was very unexpected. And today, in fact, you are making a huge impact across the island of Tasmania and have been given quite an extraordinary 
opportunity to serve the Lord there. But let's backtrack and talk to me about your upbringing. Were you raised as a Christian? How did you come to faith? Yeah, thanks, Tina. No, I wasn't actually. Um, Although my mum gets a little bit upset when I say that because, you know, we were like uh, a lot of, uh, you know, working class, middle class Aussie families, that sort of nominal um, Christian thing. We would go for weddings and funerals and that was about it. But of course, I was, you know, um, uh, christened as a child because that's what you do. But um, but realistically, uh, we, we were not uh, a Christian family only, perhaps in name only. Yeah. So, grew up in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, just really average family, mum, dad, two kids, the dog, the pool, the car, you know how it goes. <laughs> Great childhood. I lived a similar one, raised in an Anglican nominal family, two kids, the cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how was the transition then from being this nominal Christian to having this experience with Christ and having a real relationship with him. Well, I went to an Anglican school, so of course, you know, that uh, a religious uh, education I suppose was part of that, but I didn't have really any concept at all about relationship um with God at all. So I did believe that God existed, but I didn't have an understanding of what that meant beyond that. And um, and so, uh, you know, fast forward a few years, uh, I married, was living out in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, had had um, two children and was pregnant with our third. Um, our eldest was at kindergarten and he'd made friends with another little boy there whose mum and dad we'd got quite friendly with. And for whatever reason, which I now believe was the Holy Spirit, <laughs> I just started to be really um, determined that I wanted my children to have a Christian education. And I think that was about morals. I think that was about a good education that I'd been given. And we were looking around at local private schools and, of course, they were really expensive. So, we were thinking we have three to educate and I was lamenting the fact with the, with this family that, oh, you know, I don't think we're going to be able to afford the local private, uh, you know, uh, Christian schools. And, um, and of course, they were Salvation Army officers. So, they ran the local Salvation Army in Moralbark in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. And uh, Bram just happened to say to me, well, you know, we have a Sunday school and you could bring Jaden, your, your eldest, um, down to us. And my immediate thought was, oh, my goodness, I don't want to have to go to church. <laughs> like that was not on the cards, you know. And um, But look, they were really great mates and we just continued the friendship. And unbeknownst to me, they started praying for us. They put us on their prayer list and so we were on the target list, you know. I didn't know this, of course. And fast forward seven months and look, occasionally they would invite us to things and just extend that hand of friendship. We'd shared some meals together. Our, our kids had now transitioned into prep and um, and Jean, every, Jean, so Jean and Bram are the, are the mum and dad, they were the officers, um, every now and again they would say, oh, you know, um, do you think you might like to come to church on Sunday and bring Jaden? And I'd say, oh, yeah, for sure, and then I wouldn't go. And, uh, and, and literally um, one weekend – Jean asked me again on the Friday and I, I think I, I actually thought, oh my goodness, I can't face her at, at school in the car park on Monday morning drop off if I don't go. So, I said to Stephen, my husband, oh look, I'm, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and he said, oh okay, well that's all right but I'm not coming with you so you go and uh, so I went just thinking I was doing my duty and it would be a one-off and that would be the end of that. 
And, um, you know, the people were absolutely lovely and welcoming and kind and, and that was, that was, that was great, but that wasn't the thing. What happened was during the first two songs that the worship band sang, I had an encounter with God. And it's one that I can't really articulate. I've had lots of encounters since that I can articulate, but that first encounter really, um, yeah, it almost felt like a bit of a Damascus Road experience, really, where I just, I just had this overwhelming sense of coming home. It's a powerful story, isn't it? Just an overwhelming sense of, how would you describe that home? Was it a sense of love, a sense of acceptance? What Was it all of that? It was completeness. I actually felt like in that moment that that this was the, what was completing my life. And I, you know, we often hear, and especially in the Salvation Army, because we work with some of the most marginalised and and struggling folk. You know, um, we often hear these great stories of transformation where people's lives were not great, and then they they come to Jesus and they and their lives are transformed. I actually had a good life. I was really happy. <laughs> so I often say that Jesus. Jesus wrecked my life, but um, and I mean that in a really positive and best way. He wrecked my life. I I was ruined in that moment for anything other than relationship with God, and and that just brought a completeness to my life. And I was just hungry for more of that, and um, cha- it changed the direction of my life completely and that of my family. So this is an incredible story because what a fabulous encounter you have with God, but then you have. Um, this background that's not Salvation Army, that's absolutely completely nominal, but today you're actually working for the Salvation Army. So that's a completely unexpected salvo story for me. How on earth, Kim, do you go from there to actually working with the salvos and now in Tassie? Yeah, sure. Yeah, look, you know, no one's more surprised than me, Tina, let me tell you. Um, look, I, you know, as I say, my life was completely wrecked from that moment. From uh, six months into my Christian journey, I, I really felt to go and study. I had a great Bible college that wasn't too far down the road, the Bible College of Victoria. I think it's now MST. Um, and I, I started a degree there. Um, and so I started to study. I almost felt like I wanted to catch up, you know, I wanted to, to really, um, just uh, immerse myself um, in the Lord and I was really blessed. I was given great opportunities to serve in the local Salvation Army Church in Moorlbark and they were a wonderful bunch of people. So I was loved, I was discipled, I was nurtured and and given opportunity and very quickly, within a year I was on the leadership team, I was running Alpha, you know, I was um, leading Bible study, I was just right in there, full throttle. And so my heart was that I was going to serve the local church. That was what I thought I would do and I was very happy about that. My husband and I and our three children were very settled in Muralbark. We had no plan of ever leaving. And about four years into that journey, I felt, um, uh, you know, a call from the Lord to ministry. And I didn't want that because in the Salvation Army, that means moving around and it, it means uprooting your family. And it's a very different life to anything I'd ever known. And so, um, yeah, that, that was a real battle. There's a whole big story in that in itself, Tina, but it took two years of wrestling with the Lord. And ultimately, in the end, um, 
you know, I figured if I was ever to have any peace <laughs> in my heart again, um, that I, I kind of needed to go on that journey of surrender. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I just said, make me willing. And yeah, and he did. <laughs> and he did. So then, yeah, we packed up and headed off to the Salvation Army Training College. And then I, for two years, actually, and then I thought that, well, then I would be serving as a, a local pastor, a, a corps officer, we call them in the army, in the local Salvation Army um, churches. And I thought that's what I'll be doing for the rest of my time as a Salvo because I hadn't grown up in it. I didn't feel that I had the pedigree, you know, um, and I just thought, this is great. I'll just do this forever. And so we had one appointment that was seven years, our first appointment in East Gippsland um, in Victoria, which we just loved and had such an incredible time there and learned so much. And, and then we ha- we were moved to the western suburbs of Melbourne and we did a three-year stint there um, as the Corps officers at Wyndham City Salvation Army. And that was, again, a very different um, feel, really multicultural, beautiful community engagement. Just loved it. Very different from being a, in a country town to being in the city, um, but really loved that too. And, and I had a plan that we would be there for 10 years. That was my plan. Um, um, I don't know how come God didn't get on the same track as me, but, you know, uh, I was totally convicted that we were staying there. But two years and seven months into that journey, I was uh, Stephen and I were called in to our what we call our territorial commander. So he's sort of heads up the Salvation Army in Australia and um, and told that we'd be coming to Tasmania and that I would be the state leader, the divisional commander for Tassie. So that was a massive shock. <laughs> and uh, I never expected that level um, of leadership. I never expected that would be my journey. And so I very quickly had to pivot. It took me a couple of weeks to get over the shock. And I we had to keep it a bit of a secret for about seven weeks um, until it was announced. And, um, and I just started to pray for Tasmania. Once I sort of had reconciled myself to the move, I and God had reminded me that I had surrendered my life, and I said to Him that I will go wherever He um, He sends me. I um, started to pray fervently for Tasmania, and I had what was my first ever vision, which was amazing. The unexpectedness of the whole entire journey is just—it's remarkable. I'm just wanting to know before I ask you what you're doing in Tassie and how your, let's call it the nominal Christian background, informs how you're actually trying to reach people. You made an interesting comment about, and then I really felt called to ministry. What on earth, what happened there? Can you describe that like in in a very short minute? Like what does that even mean? Absolutely. I was sitting in a service one Sunday and we, we just sung a, a, an old Hillsong song. You know, uh, the song is, and that my soul knows very well. And I remember just saying to the Lord in that moment, Lord, you know, I know I will serve you. I was just really rededicating myself in that song. And as I was laying myself down again in worship before the Lord, and I felt very clearly the Holy Spirit say to me, you know, you're going to be an officer, don't you? And I went, Yep. And I said, yep. And I had peace that literally a physical peace that flowed through my body from the top of my head to the tips of my toes. It lasted probably all of about five or 10 seconds until I had realized what I'd said. 
uh, which was yes. <laughs> and then that began this crazy inner dialogue with the Lord in that moment of saying, no, 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 God, you don't understand. You don't understand. We can't go. I can't move my family and, you know, my children. And no, you, you know, I'm not a mover. That's not who I am. And, and I just had this, you know, this dialogue with God that went on for a little while. And, um, and, and then I started bargaining. You know how you get to that point of bargain. So then I was bargaining with him and saying, well, you know, I'll, I'll just stay here and in Muralbark and I'll serve here in the local church and I'll do that. I'm willing to do that. I love doing that. I'll do that full time if that's what you want. And again, very clearly, I felt the Lord say to me, no, training college. And look, to my shame at that moment, I actually said, no, I'm not going. And here end of the conversation. So I tried to bury that for a couple of years. And, I, you know, we borrowed $70,000 to renovate our house. We just didn't really need it. But I now know it was me trying to cement ourselves into Muralbark. But at the end of the day, I wanted to be so close to the Lord. And I knew I was in disobedience. So I didn't have peace. And, yeah, that came to a, to a, a crisis point um, of decision about two years later. <laughs> it is very hard, isn't it, to live with yourself when you're following Jesus, when you know that he is calling you to do something or to work in some aspect of his kingdom and you know that, oh, I'm not doing that. It's like he hounds you into a corner. Yeah, I figured I had a choice. You know, I could either distance myself from the Lord and ignore that calling or I could actually step into it but ask him to help me. And my prayer on my knees was, make me willing, make me willing. And he actually said to me, you know, you're the rich young ruler. He said, you you, you, you say you want to give me 100%, but you actually, you're giving me 90, but I want the other 10. And um and I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. It was so clearly. And so I, all I could pray was make me willing, make me willing. And he took me on a beautiful journey of doing that. So he's, he's so loving and kind. What a remarkable, remarkable set of circumstances and journeys that you've been on there. So let's fast track now. Well, you're in Tasmania. I'm talking to you today from Tassie, beautiful island, and you are really helping uh, people connect with people in Tasmania that don't know Jesus, but you are doing that in a particular way. Um, they'd love for you to um, share. And why are you doing that? What's the background, your background, that's really informing that? What's your role? Yeah, so uh, can I just very, very quickly, I'll just share that vision with you. So the vision I had that day when I, you know, was praying about Tasmania was I could see the island really clearly, almost like a satellite picture, so clear. And I could see a wave coming across the island northwest, traveling across, looked like a tsunami really. Um, and to all, but, but it wasn't destructive. I knew that it was a positive thing. And I'm watching it actually come across in this vision that's taking place before my eyes in prayer. And, uh, when it got to about halfway, I really felt the Lord say to me, this is my spirit and I'm going to bring revival and renewal to Tasmania. So that was the, the heart with which I came to Tassie, knowing that there was something really incredible that God was doing here. And, um, and I just really, you know, um, I did it on my knees, you know, as I say, I didn't expect to be in this level of leadership of leaving leading the Salvation Army here in Tassie. We have a, a very complex lot of work that we do across our streams. We've got alcohol and other drugs, family violence, housing and homelessness, community um, support and, and disaster relief, as well as our faith communities. And we have a local mission delivery model that's trying to bring those things together really well to maximize outcomes 
for transforming lives with the love of Jesus. So that's our mission. That's what we're trying to do. So it's a, it's a very complex, um, role to, to gather all those things and to have them working really well together. And so, you know, so I felt so clearly, um, about the direction that we needed to really make sure that Jesus was center and that we were pursuing him, listening to him and following what he was asking. And so it was a, a year or so in that I had another vision actually. And, um, and so as well as working on, you know, the, the, this local mission delivery and these, these places of strength for the Salvation Army through all our services, this vision actually, I could see the land and I could see these places of strength for the Salvation Army and where our existing communities of faith were and our other programs. But then around that, I could see a million twinkling stars. So I've only ever had those two visions, right? So uh, it's not like it's an everyday occurrence for me. It's really not at all. And um, But I knew instinctively in my spirit that those stars were organic faith communities. And they were all different levels of twinkling and brightness and sizes of stars. And so I knew in my spirit immediately that we were to create something that sat alongside our existing and more traditional forms of church, something new that could pretty much look like anything, except at its heart, it had to have the DNA of the Salvation Army in terms of our mission intention. Um, and that is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human needs in his name without discrimination. So that that's the key. That's at the heart. But what those communities look like could be anything. They were whatever is needed, whatever is relevant, whatever is helpful. And so thinking back to my own journey where I said, oh, gee, I don't want to have to go to church. <laughs> you know, I knew that the average Australian person feels the same. Like, you know, religion does not cut it. Um, but Jesus is amazing. So it was like, how can we make this faith that we have alive and incredible? And, and, you know, I, I have a great respect for the Salvation Army and for all churches, even in their traditions and what they love. And, you know, I certainly don't, um, have a heart to, to uh, be disparaging about that. But what I knew was that I needed to create something new alongside it that was complementary, that was reaching people who would never walk inside the, the doors of a church. So intriguing, just loving. I'm just listening and hanging on every word you're saying to me this morning. So tell us, like, what does one of these communities look like? What, what does one of these new initiatives alongside of existing traditional worship forms look like? Well, so first of all, we embarked on a bit of a journey of getting that vision out of my head and getting it down into some form of a strategy. So that took a little while. I had a wonderful person who, um, her name's Candace, who helped me to, to do that. She did lots of the grunt work around that and making it fit in the Salvation Army because we're a very large organization now. And, um, and so, you know, we have lots of processes and, and, and lots of different ways of operating around compliance and stuff. So I had to make sure that what we were creating was safe and what we were uh, creating was compliant, but also was really at the margin and pushing it as far as we could in terms of reaching um, people. So, 
I also made the strategy um, an opt-in strategy. So for our existing faith community leaders, there's no pressure on them to be part of it. Uh, we call it the OFI network, by the way, which just is the acronym for organic faith expression. So, um, yeah, so affectionately, we just call it the OFI network and we say we have lots of opportunities. So just to, just to give you an example of some of the things that we've got going, we have a ukulele group that's happening in the southeastern suburbs of Hobart. We have um, a, a stand-up paddleboard group, which they're called Paddlers Against Poverty. And so that's another group that's going at the moment. Um, we have a women's circle that works with uh, women in, in another community. And the offshoot of that is that we have another offie that's operating where women who struggle with addiction and want to support each other come together and um, and provide that support. So that's another offie that we have. There's, there's house churches. So there's not too many at the moment because we're just at the beginning of this journey and we're really just, um, you know, just starting out. So we've got some that look more like a traditional house church. Yeah, so, th- so there's a whole – there's no limit to what an offie can be. Uh, we jokingly – my husband loves hiking, so we've jokingly said that he's going to start one called Offie the Beaten Track um, and just go hiking with people and as they do that, you know, share uh, their lives and stories of faith. So, so really, it can be anything. It's just about it's, – it's about what you love, doing what you love, but – uh, bringing Jesus into that space and just doing life with people and making it natural and real and, and together, but absolutely with the intention of of making disciples and of being a disciple, so and of actually impacting our community in a in a healthy way. Yeah. Mm. So you really, I guess, with your offies, you are taking the church outside of the building and saying. The church is going to be placed in society in a specific group where that need is and we're going to build authentic, sustainable, long-lasting relationships with people in that space. That's exactly right. You know, the Salvation Army has four mission intentions to care for people, to create faith pathways, to build healthy communities and to work for justice. So OFI is absolutely outward focused and um, that that's the key exactly to to impact community in an incredibly positive way to see people flourish. And for us, that's always going to be a holistic response. It's always going to be not just about the physical or the emotional. It's absolutely the spiritual as well, but it's bringing all of those things together and and being responsive to the needs of a local community and where Offie can potentially start. And because it's so agile and because it doesn't rely on a whole lot of infrastructure like our traditional faith communities do, it's easy to stop and start and be responsive to the needs of community. Amazing. And I'm going to put uh, lots of links in our show notes also. If you're listening today, you can jump in there and grab all the information and connect with Kim and the Offie Offie Network and everything that's going on there through the Salvation Army in Tasmania. Just one final question for you, Kim. I'm just thinking about these unexpected things that God does do in our life in moving us out to people that don't know Christ. What would be your top two things that you would say to me and say to others? Oh, how do we respond? What's the best thing to do with these unexpected moves that God does, challenges that he gives us? Yeah. Look, I think I've learned the hard way over all these years, really, that it's 
probably best not to fight, not to fight them, you know? Like I think, in fact, I really felt the Lord say to me not that long ago, you know, stop fighting me. <laughs> like I think that's my innate thing. I always have a bit of a wrestle before I get to that point of the next the next surrender, the next, you know, part. And I had someone say to me once, you know, the, the Christian life is a journey to the next yes. And so I think that is about yielding. That's about surrender. And if you truly believe that God's plans are the best for you and that living that wild, crazy adventure that is life with Jesus, because I think really we, we try and sanitize it sometimes and make it this kind of neat, you know, we'll just add Jesus into our life. But actually, when you allow Jesus to really transform your life, it is a wild adventure and it's exciting and it's amazing and it will take you places to the, that you never thought you would go. And so, wow, you know, just to 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 give in to that, to surrender to that and yield to the Lord and knowing that He loves you and you are living your best life when you're living it with Him. So, I'd say just go for it, you know, just don't fight Him, just give in and do it. <laughs> I just love that. I so resonate with that. I think who, who would have thought that even myself, Kim, being really honest with you today, who would have thought that we'd be into a hundred plus podcast episodes? Like I'm a female. I've been, I've got kids. I'm married. I've been involved for a long time, but really, Lord, we're really podcasting. Didn't really even know what it was all about. So it is that unexpected journey. It's hard, but it, it's just so you do feel alive, like you're saying, and you have to embrace it and, and go on the journey. So, Kim, thank you so much. This has been an inspiring interview, and I absolutely wish you the best down there and am very keen to stay in contact with you. Oh, bless you, Tina. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity today. Thanks so much for listening to the Win Win Evangelism podcast today. If this was helpful for you, please share it with others so they can learn also. If you, your small group or your church would like to upskill more in personal evangelism, learn how it can be easy, natural and not forced, why don't you check out our online free sample course on missionwithgod.com forward slash free sample. I trust that our podcast and our online personal evangelism course can be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.